In October 2022, Eastern Promise got together with Norwich Research Park, Carter Jonas and Ridgen Partners to celebrate the key links between Cambridge and Norwich. To do this, we brought together a mightily impressive mix of scientists, business leaders and professionals from both cities for networking and to record a series of roundtables discussing the scientific, commercial and rail links between Norwich and Cambridge. I began on the platform of Norwich Station, talking to some of those who were about to join us on the trip. Hi, I'm Paul Cracknell, Executive Director of Strategy and Transformation with Norfolk County Council. And what are you looking forward to most about today? I think today is going to be a really exciting day to meet with colleagues, hear about the potential for Norfolk, Cambridge here in our region. Where, where do you think the real strengths are of the relationship between Cambridge and Norwich? I think the strengths between Cambridge and Norwich are obviously proximity. I think there's a, a, an opportunity there that to build on that scale. I think we have common platforms around innovation and academia uh, and some sector opportunities. Uh, and I think we both have that um, opportunity to provide growth uh, within rural counties. Paul, thank you very much. Brian Bush. Hello, what a pleasure to have you with us today. What are you looking forward to about this trip? Uh, it's my pleasure, Mike. Um, I'm looking forward to getting to know Cambridge a little bit better. I know it, but I want to know it a little bit better. I think good collaboration and networking between those two spaces, both of which offer excellent innovation and business opportunities, but in different spheres as well. And I think there's a lot we can learn from each other as well. Well, enjoy the journey. Thank you very much, Thank Brian. Andrew Nightingale, Eastern Academic Health Science Network. Thank you for joining us today. What are you looking forward to from this journey? I'm just looking forward to meeting like-minded people and helping that connection between Norwich and Cambridge. I think it's really important. I think if we can work together, I'm based in Cambridge, and uh, connect with all the people in the Norwich area in science and innovation, I think that's a really important thing. Thank you, and we've also got Mia Fontaine from the Sainsbury Laboratory. What, what, can I ask you the same question? What are you looking forward to getting out of this trip? Well, I was really excited to see that Roz, the CEO of the Norwich Research Park, was going to be here. So I was very excited to just hang out with people from the Norwich Research Park, because I'm quite new to the role, and it's been a very collaborative spirit. And I'm curious about the connection between Cambridge and Norwich. Well, I hope we'll, we'll uh, put some meat on the bones for you today. Thank you very much for joining us, and I really hope you enjoy it. Now, let's board the train and convene our first round table, looking at the rail links between Cambridge and Norwich. We are actually on the train to Cambridge, the 11.27. The day is finally here. Oh my God, I thought it would never come. Um, well, this is our first panel, uh, first round table of, of the journey. We're here with, would you like to introduce yourself? Hi, I'm Andrew Summers, Director of Transport East. I'm Andrew Holdsworth, Assistant Director for Economy and Growth at Breckland District Council. And I'm Jonathan Denby, and I'm Head of Corporate Affairs for Greater Anglia. And it's your train we're on this morning, Jonathan. Uh, do you want to start by painting, us, uh, painting for us a pen picture? Um, in sound, if you would, uh, of the route and of this service and how it sort of how it's come to, came to be, because you have a very personal role in, in making this service happen. Yeah. So, sort of over the years, and you know, rail services have evolved and changed, and certainly sort of the late 80s and 90s, it come to pass that there was there was there was no direct train service between Norwich and Cambridge at all. So this corridor felt like a bit of a neglected one, rail-wise and and economically. Um, 
But we started to change all that around 2001-2 when we put together uh, a bid under what was then Anglia Railways to create a new direct service between Norwich and Cambridge with brand new trains. And uh, we succeeded in that bid and so from uh, September 2002 we introduced a brand new hourly Norwich Cambridge service with, with brand new trains. Um, and that's over the years has been a huge success. It's more than realised all the benefits we thought it would deliver. If we look at it increasingly in terms of passenger numbers, so the first year of that line, there were 380,000 passengers took the train. Uh, of which 40% say they would otherwise have travelled by road. We did research yeah. at the time, so it was, it was actually taking people off the A11 at the time. That was very clear that it was that case. And then over the 20 years, what was 380,000 passengers using that link is now over a million passengers a year. So in that 20 years, it absolutely virtually tripled in yeah. numbers of people using it. And in, and in sort of parallel with that, what we've seen is um, lots of sort of developments economically along the route, sort of, you know, strengthening of the of the collaboration between all the places on the route, so the, the primary places we serve, Wyndham, Athelborough, Thetford, Ely, and then a, from recent years, Cambridge North. Yes. The new station opened at Cambridge North, which is, which is really helpful because of all the sort of the businesses around there and Cambridge itself. And then one of the other things that we did sort of in recent years is as part of the, um, uh, the contract that sort of Greater Anglia won in 2016 for running services in this part of the world, um, the core part of that bid was replacing every single train in the network yeah. with brand new trains and, one, and by having more trains and brand new ones that's allowed us to then extend the Norwich Cambridge service in, in, in many cases through to, to Stansted so a lot of the trains we run now also go through to Stansted Airport as yeah. well um, and so we've got these wonderful you know, high quality new trains that we're set on now they're sort of yeah, air conditioned they've got plug points they've got Wi-Fi got tables so yeah, it's a really high quality service effectively sort of like an in-city quality train for a regional route and that's helping to drive growth. So what we've got is now is a really good building block from which to sort of to further develop this route, you know, going on into the future. So more and more people are already using it, which is great. We've got lovely new trains, which is generating even more growth. And that's, that's a, gr a great starting point now as we look ahead from which to sort of to generate even more collaboration and growth from businesses, from academia, from the scientific communities along the route. So when Cambridge South station comes to pass. Will this will this service then stop there as well? It will indeed. Because that really opens up then the biomedical campus, doesn't it? Precisely. And and that that of course is the entire purpose of the Cambridge South Station. Yep. It's specifically located right in the heart of all of those uh, facilities there and AstraZeneca have got their worldwide HQ there. So so Cambridge South is going to be a really sort of very sort of convenient stopping point um, for all of those sort of businesses and, and uh, organizations around there. So yes our trains then as soon as that sort of station opens which is expected to be around the sort of the middle of this decade um, that then the, the train these trains that run through to Stansted will stop at Cambridge South on their way through to Stansted Airport. Right Andrew can I ask you to just very briefly introduce Transport East for those who don't who, who may not know uh, who, what you do and and um, I shall read what I've written here and I can cut this out this is brilliant and um, you know the, the route we're on is one of Transport East's priority corridors and just introduce yourself and talk to the wider economic importance of this route, as, as Jonathan's kind of 
commented on. Absolutely. Uh, so Transport East is the single voice for transport investment in the east of England. We were formed by our political leaders, our business leaders, uh, across Norfolk, Suffolk, Essex, South End and Thurrock. And we work incredibly closely with our, our neighbouring um, subnational transport body, England's Economic Heartland, that covers Cambridgeshire as well. So it's all about partnership, having that single voice for investment. In the past, a lot of fragmented voices across the region doesn't cut through the government in terms of um, making that message comes coming through why we need to invest in the east so this is fundamentally different we've all come together um, the really good news uh, two weeks ago we launched our first regional transport strategy for the east so this partnership has created this case for investment a compelling case for investment the east of england region has a 73 billion pound economy and transport is absolutely fundamental to enabling that now in the strategy we've set out our priority movement corridors six of them across the east and this corridor that we're traveling on today is one of those so cambridge to norwich cambridge to ely but not just that bit within the east of England. We're not seeing ourselves as an island. We connect to the rest of the UK. We help drive a lot of the rest of the UK's economy in, in the east with our, with our powerful uh, sectors, with our ports, um, with our airports. So this is a fundamental movement corridor. So our strategy is looking at how we can help Jonathan and others to really improve the rail services, to help people and goods move along this line. Andrew Holdsworth, Breckland Council. Oh, sorry, I'm naming you in full to distinguish you from Andrew Summers. Um, Breckland has the largest number of stations on this line. I mean, what what do you see as, as the benefits coming coming from having those those and it being so easy for people in uh, Attleborough, in Thetford, um, and all those the sort of smaller ones in between to basically sort of have a very short journey to get on a train and and and, and, and uh, access work leisure in in and we're moving this is we're moving. What's the importance of those stations to the council? It is incredibly important. I, I think. The good thing about this investment is it's not only connecting two big um, endpoints in Norwich and Cambridge, it is all the places in between and all the different communities and, and businesses that that sustains. And the investment that, that Jonathan talked about, it's been incredibly important to sustaining some phenomenal growth locally, but also moving forwards as well. You mentioned two of our, our larger towns there, between them there's 9,000 homes that are being built out at the moment there, which will be transformational in terms of the, the size of um, those um, settlements uh, and also the kind of people we can attract, the kind of businesses that we can attract. And there's a commonality in there that all of them feature at the heart of the town, whether it's kind of the new town or, or, or the old town, a railway station. Um, one of the things we're really, really keen to do is to make sure as, as these towns move forward and we see them as being sort of models of how people want to kind of build and, and, and shape their lives in a kind of post-COVID economy, that the train station is at the heart of that. It, it sort of defines the urban urban centre and it defines the way that people can quite easily move around the town but then very easily move, move to different jobs and employment. One of the things that we're incredibly keen to make sure happens is we, we know there's a phenomenal amount of growth happening in Cambridge at the moment, similarly in Norwich, but there's, that can be sustained through its links down across the, the, the Cambridge Norwich Tech Corridor and there is growth and expansion space possible and it's brilliant to have a rail network that can sustain that, whether that's 
commuters coming into spaces to work in Bedford or in Alborough um, or sort of bigger production facilities that could link in, in bigger sites we've got like Snetterton. Absolutely and um, I think we went, as I said when, when I went to Thetford um, and we did a tour around Thetford we looked at the station and looked at that there's, there's a lot of legacy building there I mean Wyndham is, a, is an example of where those buildings have been pressed into, into a commercial use but what's the what's the mechanism for unlocking those stations I mean is, is, are they your buildings so they're, 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 they're owned by Network Rail uh -huh. but, but, but we as Greater Anglia have them on 99 year full repair and lease basis so um, the op the opportunity is is like like a lot of the things we're talking about today is about is about partnership. So how do you find the sort of the the funding to unlock sort of those those bits of currently underutilized space that no, have no operational rail role anymore, but could potentially be used for other purposes? So traditionally, sort of nobody has been sort of funded, if you like, to make use of those redundant spaces. The network Rail haven't, the train operator of the day hasn't, the local authority hasn't. But once you start getting that sort of collaboration towards a common aim of, of something different, potentially you can then unlock funding from particular sources, be that government schemes or, or, or other projects that might, that might come to pass, that then might help repurpose Part of a station for a different different use, yeah, um, and that, and that's that's the opportunity. Sometimes that happens out of its own uh, momentum because you get a, a local business or a local entrepreneur who wants actually to use the, the, yeah. the, 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 that that space anyway and approaches us and says, "Oh, can we lease it?" And away you go. Sometimes that's not the case, and so it's then, can you find those sources of funding to try and help you make it make it happen? Can I jump in? Yeah, yeah. Because so, I would absolutely agree with that. I think partnership. Speed to unlocking these sites because I think the way we like to look at it is there's a core sort of station envelope which in the ownership of Greater Anglia and, and with a relationship with Network Rail there's then what happens around it so in the context of Thetford we're looking at potential redevelopment of, of associated sites which are either in other parts of public sector ownership or private ownership and then there's how it all connects in how it connects into the road network and how it connects into the walking and cycling network um, and we're really pleased in, in Thetford so we're looking at some potential joint master planning with um, um, with Greater Anglia at the moment around a much bigger vision yeah. for that whole station size. Yeah, just I mean, coming on that yeah. that transport connectivity point, it's absolutely fundamental. There is effective uh, interchange at these stations. Um, if we are to achieve things like our decarbonisation objectives and it attracts people onto the railways as opposed to continuing to use private car, for example, for some of their, their trips, um, some of the barriers, and we did a survey of about 600 people in our strategy, we asked people in, in the east, now, what are the key things you think about when you make your trips? And it's about reliability, it's convenience. So the ability for them to be, as, uh, as Andrew said, to get the bus to the station, quick interchange onto the train, active travel routes, for example, or if, if they're out at, no, good car park. So really good connectivity to get to the train station is fundamental. The other element of that is it adds to the business case for the, the rail investment in the first place. Look at Crossrail. A huge amount of those business case um, benefits were from those wider areas around those stations that had greater accessibility. And that's the sort of thinking we need to bring together here, the partnership work on business cases to really make that, that value for money case for investment. I mean, if you look at just turning from from uh, legacy stations to, to, to newer ones, we covered Cambridge North and Cambridge South briefly. And if you look at the the, the, the interchange, the entries and exits for Cambridge North, an explosion. It's like nearly pre-pandemic, pre it nearly doubled. Uh, so that's amazing. I mean, could, 
you guys are obviously going to be no much better than I. What's the mechanism? And they're talking about Broadland uh, Park as a, as, a, as a station. I know it's been going on for some time now, but what's the mechanism for new stations? I mean, what's the and the time frame for sort of setting that up? I mean, I, it, like a lot of these things, it, 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 it depends on collaboration and partnership. I know that sounds a bit like obvious, but but, but that that's what it amounts to. So so what you need is that is to build a business case. You need to have somebody who's going to be in a position to fund it. So all, all of these station schemes, so train operators t are generally running contracts of five to ten years currently under the current way the structure works. So actually, the, for the train operator themselves, they're not going to see the return from that investment over the period of of their contract. So actually what you need is sort of like the long-term vision bit where you can get secure funding from other sources, be that a regional organisation or a government sort of uh, a government sort of funding scheme um, that allows you to take into account the long-term benefits, the wider benefits of those stations, the agglomeration benefits that Andrew was just talking about. And if you get that together, then you can build a business case for for actually doing the station investment. And that and we we can we can help with that in that we can help towards the business case and we can do the transport uh, service modelling. We can help show what sort of demand you might see if you then put the station in. We can we can actually be active players, even though even though we may not have that we will not be able to provide the, the funding grant to do it. We can be key agents in helping to make the case and working with others to then get these things over the line. And this is where I want to talk about the rail plan that the region is about to embark on. So we've, as a region, have looked rather enviously at the North and the Midlands in terms of the integrated rail plan that they've developed over, you know, over a decade, but have secured £96 billion worth of investment in that. In the East, we are now going through that same process. As I mentioned earlier, there has been quite a fragmented approach to, to rail development in the East. We are bringing that together into a single rail plan. We're working with Jonathan, um, we're working with Network Rail, Government, all of our partners um, to create a single rail plan with a vision in terms of the outputs that we want the network to deliver, the economic benefits we want it to deliver, um, the environmental benefits we want it to deliver. Um, Government has funded us to do this um, yeah. over the next year um, and we're going to be having a roundtable in Parliament in November um, with Jonathan and others and our leading MPs to get that up and running. But I think it's that, that, it's that partnership approach that has to get it over the line. We can't do this individually. No strangers to a roundtable in Parliament. Jonathan. And just to bear that out, so we're sat on here, fantastic new train. To transform the quality of service on this route, transform the capacity, transform the sort of the punctuality. You know, we, we, what we've got now is a fantastic rail service. We have never ever in the history of the railways in the East before ever had a complete replacement of the entire fleet. It's never happened. It's happening now yeah. and we're getting we're, we're most of the way through it. By this time next year our entire network, including the bits in the south, which are the last part of the transition, will have entirely new train fleet. But the only reason that is there is that from 2012 onwards, a number of us, of which Greater Anglia was at the heart, but, but a number of us got together to bat together for the eastern region. That hadn't happened before. Yeah. It had happened in the north. Um, it hadn't happened. We'd seen what was going on, and myself and some of the MPs and the LEPs and the local authorities, we all got together, collaborated and said, right, come on, it's our turn. It's really important. We're going to back together consistently to government. And, and, and all of us did that consistently over a period of time, Chambers of Commerce, LEPs, local authorities and, and others, uh, pushing, 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 making the case to government, which then meant that in 2014-15, when they were letting the contract for, for the train services in East Anglia, DFT and government, because they had it 
put at them through every channel, not just the DFT but the Treasury video, were then clear that sort of rolling stock and new trains was absolutely fundamental for our region. And so it was then placed as a higher priority in the contract. Bidders then bid against that. They then they put in, got more competitive bids. You got better value because new, new sort of um, manufacturers and others were getting in, sort of thinking, "Oh, there's an opportunity here." So therefore, when Abellio, who were our parent company anyway, then saw that, they put in an ambitious bid that said, "Actually, no, we'll replace everything," and made that strong case to government. And because government then saw one, it was a strong case, and two, they were still getting all the way through the process. Everybody in the region, just as Andrew says, saying, "Come on, it's our turn." And there's an economic case here, we ended up with this fantastic outcome. Yeah. And so it just underpins that sort of Andrew's point about that collaboration. Now, we were doing that then, having to try to, a number of us work together to try and collaborate and, and, and speak as a common voice. We didn't have a subnational transport body at that point. We do now, which is great. So that gives us extra sort of voice to, to put across. And it's worth remembering this provides solutions to the government as well in terms of some of their major national challenges so post-brexit international trade well in the east of england over half of the uk's freight containers come through our ports um, serving industries in the north in the midlands in london we are that gateway region um, but we don't have the, the rail network currently to reflect that role um, if we deliver for example the ely scheme it gets thousands of, of freight uh, lorries off the a14 saving millions of tonnes of, of carbon helps the net zero agenda. So there's so many things we're trying to push here that are in line and will support government objectives. And it's Absolutely. that partnership approach. I think, I think that's really important. You've got to make those connections between where the government wants to go and what you can offer. Because I think that's that's the way, in my experience, that you, you, you get those results. You, you draw those lines and you say, we can deliver your agenda and this is how we're going to do it. I thought, and this isn't just limited to transport, but I think it absolutely applies. But I think one of the key challenges we have, and have had historically, is long-term infrastructure planning is incredibly difficult. It is the temptation always is to look at fairly narrow time horizons, to look at a five-year business plan. Wonder why. But I think the thing we can't accept is to put it in two difficult parts because we have to plan for housing growth, for employment growth yeah. over a 40-year time horizon. But to do that effectively, you need to be able to put in the infrastructure in advance and need to know properly about what, what rail requirements to look like. And the great thing we have here is, is we have seen, we have evidence, and we're sat on it, the success of having a really successful Norwich to Cambridge train service. Yes. So, so we are coming from something that says, look, if you invest on it, in it, this is what you will get. We have had 20 years of success on this route, starting off with two brand new two-carriage trains, really successful. Yeah. By 2010, we're at a point where we had to swap those for three-carriage trains because it was being so successful and then when, we were, when the when the contract was let again in the middle of the last decade we then we've got new trains and now we're on lovely four four carriage trains and so what what that allows us to do with government is to say oh not not just say oh well you need to invest in us because actually we've been we've you know we, we, we've not had our fair share actually we, 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 you need to invest in us because actually you can see the evidence here yeah, that when exactly. you do that, exactly. this is what it gives. So if you invest even more, there's opportunities to do even more. So, you know, for example, you know, we've got a great hourly service that is, that is brilliant, but in the future, if you're going to get even more people off the A11, even more people sort of, you know, using rail instead of road, actually you, the vision would be you'd want to go to a half hourly service. Yeah. But to do that, you need to unlock Ely, as Andrew's already mentioned, and you'd need to unlock the sort of the Trout Swing Bridge at, at, at Norwich because yeah. those are 
current constraints, which without which, if you don't if you don't sort of modify those and create extra capacity, you couldn't run a half-hourly service. So yeah. it's those sort of things where again that collaboration of that vision is about then creating the infrastructure that allows us to do even more. Well, we've just arrived at Wyndham, where, but we will we will, we will we will not change anything around at this point. We're gonna we're gonna continue now. Um, East West Rail. Andrew, where, where, where does that stand? Because I've, I, I was re trying to read around it and it, it's interesting trying to get to the bottom of where that stands, especially Grant Shapp's comments during the Conservative leadership campaign. Where is that current, currently, and in particular the extension of that sort of beyond, beyond Cambridge to the east? Yep. So in the, the Prime Minister's recent growth plan, East West Rail was mentioned in, in the plan as a scheme they want to progress. I guess the, the question is what elements of that are described in the plan um, and we, we, we need further detail on that. From the East's perspective, Transport East has created um, an Eastern Board of East West Rail, so chaired by uh, Councillor Alexander Nicholl of, of Suffolk um, and members of that board include Jonathan and Transport East and all of the, the local authority politicians along that route. Our goal is to make sure we make the case for the eastern section of East West Rail. Now we are supportive of all the work taking place in the central section because we want the connectivity yeah. to the rest of the country. Yeah. Imagine through services from Norwich and Ipswich through Cambridge and then beyond yeah. um, into, into Oxford and the West Country. It allows this corridor to grow. It allows people to be attracted to live on the corridor and use rail as, as, as that key point. So we are advocating hard and it's part of the, the rail plan that I talked about that east-west connectivity will be absolutely fundamental. But we need the central section um, between Bletchley and Cambridge to be delivered. We need Cambridge South to be able to accommodate through services as well. Um, but we are pushing hard on that. But then when we get to the eastern section, we need our trains to be able to run quickly along this route that we're on now mm -hmm. from Norwich through to Cambridge to provide high quality um, long distance services. And what, and what, and what, you, what we need to try and do is, is, is sort of make sure that sort of for both Cambridge Norwich and Cambridge Ipswich you then put in the infrastructure that allows you to run a more frequent service mm -hmm. um, and, and that underpins everything. So if you can get the infrastructure and also the collaboration to then make sure that we can get the sort of the, the government support to allow whoever's running the contract to run half hourly trains in the future because obviously you'd need extra trains to do that and you need to, to, to uh, make sure that that was uh, costed into the operation of the contract. Um, but you, but if you get to, if the other thing is if you get to half hourly you're in such a strong position because whilst clearly our, our vision would be is to try and get some, some direct services through from the east-west through right all the way through to Ipswich and all the way through to Norwich without changing. If you've got a level of frequency that's between our core regional sort of hubs in terms of Norwich, Ipswich, Cambridge, that's half hourly, obviously we've already got it between Norwich and Ipswich now, but if you've got it from, from, from Norwich to Cambridge and Ipswich to Cambridge, that means that even if the core of the east-west rail service ended up being Cambridge to Oxford, if you've got half hourly trains from Ipswich yeah. to Norwich, as soon as, you, as soon as you get to Cambridge, you've got hardly any time to, to wait to, to change, even Absolutely. if you are changing. Yeah. So, so you get you get that huge amount of connectivity. So almost like you 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 have the vision to like to get the core stuff in first, and then try and add in whatever you can with some with some through trains around.
around the edges as well. But you get a lot of the benefits just from that. That frequency element makes a huge difference to people's propensity to use the train. You know, every time you sort of increase frequency, you suddenly draw in a whole set of people. Even, even on yeah. your most, I mean, these aren't our most rural routes, but even on our most rural routes, like East Suffolk Line or Norwich Sheringham, once you get over a core threshold of frequency, suddenly a whole set of people who before were just have gone, oh, I'm not so sure, a rail's not convenient enough for me, I can't, I can't yeah, exactly. risk, risk being stuck waiting around for an hour and a half. Once you get over hourly and on some routes or half hourly on others, suddenly you're drawing a whole set of extra people who find, then find rail services convenient and they'll use it and they'll change their behaviours as a result. Right, I'm just checking where we are. Are we... Are we, are we all right? Yeah, yeah. Skills. Do you know how often we are from Attleborough now? Oh, probably uh, within the next five minutes. Okay. So, um, well, I mean, just just very quickly, um, in terms of ticketing, I, I, I looked at a study called from McKinsey that said uh, three horizons to boost rail modal share. Uh, restore travel to pre-COVID levels. I don't think I think you've probably considered that actually. Um, grow passenger rail by better operations again. Uh, but it talks about ticketing and mobility as a service applications. What work are you doing? Just very briefly, because we've got to sort of switch to the next one. But what work are you doing in terms of improving, like one single ticket in terms of accessing transport in Cambridge, transport in Norwich? So, so the, I think there's a, there's a number of things we're doing in the industry to try and improve ticketing. One sort of to, to um, so on the one hand, sort of. Um, people want simplicity, but they also want fares and tickets that suit their individual journeys. So there's an interesting balance there about how much simplicity you have versus how much um, variety of fares that suit people with very differing needs. So we're trying to get that balance right. So for example, in the last uh, 18 months, industry has put in a new flexible season ticket. So that again, for people who aren't traveling in five days a week, that's a more flexible option. And that's, again, that, I think that's just the start of us as an industry moving towards more varied ticketing. There's many more tickets already that you can get on a smart ticketing, which again is easier, more tickets you can buy on your phone. I think, I think where we need to be going, and this is about, again, collaboration, vision, working with government, if you like, is we need to sort of to get the, the funding framework behind it mm -hmm. in a position that allows you to do more of that straightforward, just being able to add it on, 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 on a car type thing, that sort of single ticket, and also more of, the, 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 those, those sort of integrated approaches like you've got say in some of the big urban areas already yeah. in London where a bit like you know, the Oyster example for example where, you've, where you then have one ticket that gets you on rail, bus, the convenience element is something that definitely drives usage even sometimes if actually you know the pricing has gone up slightly with it so in London some of the Oyster pricing did go up a bit but actually the sheer convenience of that inter-available ticket just meant you got this real growth in usage. Well. Andrew Summers, Transport East, Andrew Holds with Breckland Council, and Jonathan Denby, Greater Angler. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, gentlemen, for your time. Please do enjoy the rest of the day. My huge thanks to Jonathan Denby, Head of Corporate Affairs at Greater Anglia, to Andrew Summers, Strategic Director at Transport East, and Andrew Holdsworth, Assistant Director for Development and Growth at Breckland Council. Next week, we'll be looking at the commercial links between Norwich and Cambridge with Nova Fairbank, Chief Executive of Norfolk Chambers of Commerce, William Rook, partner in Carter Jonas at Cambridge, and Nigel Cushion, Chief Executive Officer of Nelson Spirit. Please do join me again for that. <laughs>